Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> good to see everybody today. Grace and peace. Welcome to Bible study. Uh, looking forward to our time together. Anybody uh, fans of the band U2? Got a few U2 fans. What's your favorite U2 song, Mike? What's that? Where the street? Ooh, that's a good one. Have you ever been to one of their concerts? Oh, anybody been to a U2 concert? Nobody? Well, at least for the first part of their uh, history, uh, they always ended their concert with the same song. And it was the song, song 40, based off of Psalm 40. Isn't that interesting? And uh, it's a really good song. You should listen to it when you uh, head out to your truck uh, today. Uh, very repetitive. And one of the things that we learn about David, and just like all of us, we constantly need to be reminded of who we are and the place that God has us in. We are in these chapters of Second Samuel, uh, chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, I like how Kurt refers to them. It's the golden age of David and the golden age of Israel. Ponder for a second your golden age. Yep, hopefully you're in it right now, right? <laughs> and uh, we, hopefully it's, it's like good and well, we always want to hold on. As much as we have the have control, hold on to those best parts of our life and in our relationship with God, relationship with our family, with others. And uh, man, what does it take to stay centered in our golden age? Psalm 40, uh, it's a psalm of David based off in where you two got their song uh, from, uh, is a great psalm keep us there in the golden age. So let's pray. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, are the things you planned for us, None can compare with you. Were I to speak and to tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is written within my heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I think we're in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Get up in verse 18. 
2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. I'm fighting the crud, so forgive me. Voice said in the strongest. <clears throat> but as we said, we're in the golden age of David. Everything is connecting. Everything is looking bright and good. It's important to keep in mind, at any point in your life, God's purpose is to teach you how to choose. Teach you how to choose right and wrong, choose righteousness from sinfulness, choose love uh, from hate, choose Christ from the world. His point is not to give you a golden age in this life. If a golden age teaches you to make good choices, then you have a golden age. But true gut check here, do you tend to learn more from God when things are going well or when they're not going well? I mean, honestly, what? When, when are you more faithful? I mean, it depends, but yeah, I'm usually more faithful when it's going to crap. But um, whenever, whenever I whenever I found out I was being appointed to the church, I just did a little. While I was still in Abilene, I did a little study, and I charted the attendance of of the church at First Methodist Midland with the price of oil. <laughs> Guess what attendance was better? When it was low or high? Down, baby. What does that say, right? But if we can learn our lessons in the golden time, God certainly, I think, wants to keep us there. But let's, you know David, and I want to congratulate you again that we've really walked with this man as God intended and Steve has been telling me about a new animated movie that's coming out about King David. I'm going to have to giggle, right? Because how much of the story of King David are they really going to tell? I mean, I believe, obviously, in teaching kids these stories, but there has to be another point when you learn the rest of the story as an adult. And I don't think an animated movie could do that. No. But you know him, and so realize what he's doing now. It's, it's extraordinary. This is verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? Some questions as to where he is. But I think Steve and I agree, in order to, to sit in front of the Lord, as they would say it, you would have to be in front of the ark. And this, if you remember back, when he was running from Saul, he went to the tabernacle and went to the priests. And what, what did he want from the priests at that point? Remember, he wanted bread and a weapon. And it was all really sketchy. Yeah, the king sent me. Do you have any cash? I need a passport. Is there a place I can sleep tonight? It's all real sketchy, right? And so they're like, well, the only sword we have is Goliath's sword that you, know, you took from him on the battlefield. And behind the ark... Um, where the ephod was kept, remember the ephod, the, the dice, that we, the, it's, it's the dice that are kept in a cloak in the front centerpiece. So in that point in his life, he went past the ark. He didn't sit in front of the Lord. He had no time for that. He was running, he was fighting, he was doing. But now there's, there's some maturity. He's come to a place, and David's a pretty active guy, isn't he? 
I mean, he's he's out fighting, he's out doing, you know, um, dining up the ladies, smashing Philistine heads. Um, but here he is, he is sitting. Now, with all that's been offered to him, all that the anointing has given him his ability, with God's help, to lead his country out of a civil war, out of foreign occupation. And we'll see by chapter 8, the next chapter, he's going to catapult them from just a a measly little local power to a regional power. He's going to go pick fights with much, much bigger nations and win. And so he puts little Israel on the map. But he begins with this incredible question, who am I? And that is that is some spiritual depth there. I mean, to really know yourself and know, I'm, I'm kind of a nut. I really shouldn't be this. My family is not the greatest. Do people that are given power, not absolute power in the case of David, but certainly a lot, do we tend to stay in this place? Who am I? It's... Uh, it's shocking. And as much as I can stress this for you, nobody else, no king in the world at this time was talking like this. The kings would talk about, oh, the gods like me because I'm so incredible, I'm awesome. But none of them would have this you know, introspective moment of, I'm really nothing. And God has done it. Just for grins, let me read you uh, a roughly... Uh, contemporary Egyptian account of their king asking, who am I? And so the king says, I am a youthful lord, active and without the like in the world. My armies are mighty and my heart is stout. I have the strength of the war god Montu in his hour. I am perfect in form like Atum, which is one of the sun gods. Hailed in my beauty to whoever sees me, victorious in all that I do, wily when I launch a fight. I'm a strong wall around which the soldiers depend. I am the shield on the day of battle, a bowman without angle, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's the kind of crap that we all expect, right? And that's I really want you to hear David, just to step back and sitting in front of God and not saying, I am your chosen, I am the greatest, I am the defeater of Goliath, I am, I am, I am. He's really focused on I am, on God. This is why it's the golden age. And I think it's important for us all, like Steve said, to be reminded of who we are. God, for our generation, as much as we bemoan it sometimes, we're blessed. We're incredibly blessed. Think of the lives that we lead in comparison to the rest of the history of our planet. We have more power, more wealth, more access to Scripture, an easier time to express our faith than just about anybody in the long history, 5,000 years of recorded human history. So why us? Do you work harder than your great-grandparents? Are you better than they were? (laughs) I'm certainly not. Uh, Not even my grandparents. And so it is staggering to think what we have. But what we're going to see with David is so much of this tells us more about God than about ourselves. And a lot of times when we build up ourselves through insecurity, I think, 
you know, Ramses II, the guy I was reading, really was boasting like this because he lost a battle. And so when he proclaims his, on his return how much he won the battle, you can tell he's lying because he's, he's buffing it all up here. But David doesn't have to do that. We know David, um, and we're going to know him a lot better, but he's not afraid here to say, you know, I am really, in the immortal words of Kurt, a cockroach. Um, for all we dress up and talk up, we're still just cockroaches. And we serve an amazing God that loves cockroaches and can bring good things from them. But So remember, we're coming off the heels. Uh, rumor David had a plan, and that plan was to do what? Remember? Build a temple, right? And that this is, that basically uh, God communicated to Nathan that David's plan was too small. That God had a much bigger plan uh, to create a dynasty, to create a family, what the scriptures call a house, that would last how long? Forever. Right? It's a big, big, grand vision. And this is David's response to hearing this word from, from Nathan uh, in response to God. It's interesting. He's not arguing. I mean, you have a big plan to build a temple. That's a big thing. He's not arguing with God. This is like David at his best, sitting before the Lord, taking all of this in, and in humble. That, that question, who am I? That is a question of humility. For sure. Right? That's why it's such an important question to ask. Like, who am I? Because you're, you're, you're allowing someone else to answer that question. And in relation to God, right, that's the person that should be answering the question. We don't, we don't, we don't create our own identity. We don't, you know, we talk about you need to have self-confidence. Brothers and sisters, self-confidence is not biblical. Can I say that? God confidence is biblical. Having confidence in the one who made us, that is where our confidence should come from. The one who calls us, who anoints us, like God called and anointed David. That's where the confidence comes from. And the golden age begins to slip through our fingers when we start thinking that we're some big deal, which we will see uh, in just a few chapters. So David wants to build a house for God to live in, and God wants to build a house for David to endure. And so how long is David's house to endure? Forever. And so I'm always a cynic. How long is forever? Is there a footnote? Does God say, you know, until I change my mind, or until whatever. So the word they use is olam, O-L-A-M. It's a good word to know in Hebrew. They use it a lot. The concept of heaven is the, the world uh, olam, the world to come, the world eternal. And so much of what you see God do is, is moving towards this olam. Olam is where Jesus says you should build up your treasures. It's, it's this eternity. But again, I'm a cynic. Did the, David, did the line of David endure forever? Or did, was God just a salesman? So there's kind of two answers here. I mean, there was up and down for David's family. They actually only uh, 
will hold on to united Israel for one generation, Solomon, but then David's descendants will continue ruling Judah, at least, and they do for a while, until the last of them, uh, King Zedekiah, he has his last sons, uh, sons of David, uh, descendants, uh, killed, and the king has his eyes gouged out. Nebuchadnezzar does it so that the last thing he sees is the death of the line of David. And so you think, oh no, it's, you know, Alam is not forever. But it really was. And not just in a spiritual sense. I mean, we know that the family of David continues. And so this will lead to Joseph and Jesus. And so definitely the line that God is creating here, this house he is creating is, is Jesus. Um, but I was surprised to learn I've been researching this like a crazy man for the last 24 hours. You know, there's living descendants of David today. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen in your world. Look at this guy. Menachem Schneerson is there. And there's a lot of people that will claim this. He actually passed away in 1994, but he is a, a line of rabbis that came out of the Ukraine, live in New York now. And, uh, you know, Jews love, love their genealogies. So-and-so begat so-and-so. And this homeless-looking guy um, actually has the paperwork uh, to, to show that they really are of the family of David. I cannot tell you how unusual that is. There's no other ancient king running around that has descendants in our world today. I mean, when God says Olam, he means Olam both in the form of Jesus and um, descendants today. And so this gives me a little bit of heartburn. I mean, I think of David as Michelangelo, dun, 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 a manly man. I mean, what if all along David looked like this little Jewish homeless guy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> does he still have this family resemblance, just a little old guy with a beard? It's not nearly as cool as I imagined. But if ever we sort of doubt God that he works in the real world, there's... There's just these little chinks where God says, yeah, I really do um, keep my word forever. Yours truly wants to do DNA tests on all these guys. There was a claim for a long time about the priesthoods in Israel, uh, that the Cohens and the Levites were different, and we can still identify them from the tribe of Judah. And they did. Uh, they did a DNA study, and they showed there is a different family connection between them. So I'd love for them to do it with the descendants of David and see if we could figure anything out. So far, nobody has, has taken this on. And I guess it might be a little, little disconcerting if the, you know, show up at your house, hello, Jewish friend, can I have your DNA? I'm doing a very, yeah. So I'm not going to go ask. They've had enough of Germans asking for tests on them. So um, maybe I'll behave myself. But it's just one of those funny little things I think God does. But let's go back to David. He realizes he is, is not that great. And his family uh, certainly is not a royal family. Uh, they're going to become one, but they certainly didn't have it before. Verse 19, And now, sovereign Lord, and David is doing what we saw David do in the beginning here. It's this psalm heart. It's this incredibleness. He is a man of unimaginable violence. I mean, we talk about the house of the Lord. And the prophet, you, you want to show that, is going to tell him, guess what, David? You're not going to build the house of the Lord. The physical construct, you're not going to do it. You know why? You guys know why? Yeah. Literally, there's too much blood on your hands. 
was too much. Uh, it was just way too much. Yeah, check this out. <clears throat> this is a Chronicles. Uh, Chronicles tells the same story, but it comes at it from a different slant. And um, this is one of the additions to the story uh, here. Um, later, uh, the chronicler circles back, and when David is talking to Solomon uh, about, the, about building the temple, David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, what we covered last week. But this word of the Lord came to me, which is, this is what is not in Kings. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Now, some of that blood you could say, well, God said, go do this. But I have a feeling it's some of David's shedding of blood that gives us a little bit of heartburn that God is talking about here. What do you think, Pastor Kurt? Oh, for sure. Um, David is, is an industrial killer. Um, not all things that he does, God loves. But God loves him. But, so we, we've got that, that image. A man with a lot of blood on his hands. And then he comes up with, our translations are saying, O sovereign Lord, is, is that what your has? It's actually... Lord Yahweh. And it hasn't been used since a conversation between Abraham and God. And so again, David shows this unbelievable command of language, of titles of God, of this relationship with God. I mean, it's what he pours into the Psalms, but here it's, it's coming out in Samuel. Uh, he'll do it seven times, and it's, it's extraordinary. He is a man after God's own heart. He gets it here. He sees the real lordship of God in his life, that he is best when he is sitting before God, asking, inquiring of the Lord as we've looked at, realizing um, I don't need to just believe in my soldiers. I need to believe in God. So, man, it is, it is such a good day here. <laughs> In addition to everything else, you speak of giving me a lasting dynasty. Do you deal with everyone in this way? No. <laughs> o sovereign Lord, again, Lord Yahweh, what more can I say? You know what I'm really like. That's, that's incredible and uh, uh, such an honest place to be with God. And man, there's so much stuff out there in, in spiritual growth and you know, all that kind of stuff. But if, if I can just leave something in your heart, God loves who you really are. He does not love who you pretend to be. And if you live in that world, who you pretend to be, or who other people perhaps see you as, or who you want to be, it's hard to find God in those places. But when you've got your hands covered in blood and you've got one eye looking out for the other lady, uh, you're, you're trying to impress everybody, God knows and he still loves you. Um, so David has discovered that, discovered to be in that place. Yeah, just just write, make a little note right there in the, in the passage, uh, <coughs> Psalm 139. That is also a psalm that David wrote 
many, many echoes of what David has just said in Psalm 139. And when you're at, when you're, and, and, and this should be a spiritual practice for us of placing ourselves before the Lord and asking God this question, who am I? Uh, Psalm 139, you're probably very familiar to you at the end of it. Search me, God, and know my heart. God knows. It's like we struggle to, to, to see through all the craziness that's going on in our lives, who we really are. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now that's prayer, right? And uh, when we're at our best, we are praying prayers like that. 21, for the sake of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have shown them to me. So David is doing what so much of the Old Testament tries to do. They'll, they'll show you a, a covenant, an agreement between God and the people or God and an individual. And invariably, the individual lets down his side of the bargain. He will not keep covenant. He will break it. He will lie. He will kill. He will cheat. But God continues to be faithful. And the reason they do that is because that's the one thing that's true in this world, that God is going to continue to do good. God is going to continue to keep his word. It's not that David is a hero. is that David is connected to a God who is the hero. Everything that's happening for Israel really is not because they have a king who killed Goliath. It's because they have the God that they do. And if you can keep your, your life in that order, you're not perfect. God wants you to work on your imperfections. But the only perfection is in Christ, is in God. Not in our leaders, not in ourselves, not in who we project, not who we want to be. It really, really is in God. So David knows in 22, how great are you? O sovereign Lord. So again, seven times he's going through this. There is no one like you. There is no other God. We have never heard of any God like you. And again, I, I can put a huge exclamation point on this. You know, the, the kings were loved by the gods and, and with the pagans, the Gentiles, because there was an economic exchange. The kings would win battles. The kings would take a lot of gold and slave and loot and that kind of stuff. And they would take it back to the temples, a large portion of it, and they would give it to the gods. And the gods were happy. So it was this sort of self-fulfilling uh, economic exchange between you and the gods. There's none of that here. David is imperfect. He's maybe, I'm going to build you a great house, God. God's like, yeah, you can't do it anyway. I'll, I'll get Solomon. He's better. Um, but what I do want with you, David, is to create this house, this line of humanity that's going to save the world. That I'm going to show you through your house that a perfect son can come and change the world. So as big as your plans are with God, as much as our golden age, uh, David's golden age is nothing compared to the age of Christ. And that's where God's trying to get... <laughs> So there was no other God. You made a great name for yourself when you rescued your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and the gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your people forever. So again, there's this old lamb. Um, this is 
his, his people forever. He'll include us later on. We're adopted kids, but he doesn't give up on his firstborn. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. Again, Olam. And may, it be your, and may your name be honored forever so that all the world will say. So think of what David has just transitioned from. On the one hand, we're talking about we're going to be your people forever. You know, my, my house, my, my people, Israel, we're going to be yours forever. But you continue to show the people that you are a different kind of God. You're not a God that wants big temples, not a God that wants the treasury, not the God that always collects the taxes from us, but you are the God that knows us and lifts us up, even when we're flawed being, so that the whole world will say, this has been their sacred mission from the beginning. So it's both and. He loves his firstborn children, but he wants all of his children to be brought in. This is where it's going, obviously with Jesus, that all of us will say, the Lord Almighty is the God over Israel. So again, this uh, Lord, uh, or Adonai Yahweh, uh, Lord Yahweh is the Elohim over Israel. But there is a God in Israel that is different than any other God on the planet. And may the dynasty of your servant, David, be established forever in your presence. So with much mucus, I'll give you a big kiss right now. If you can tell me, based on our Sunday sermons, why servant, David picking this title servant, would be so big for us. David will pick this title servant for himself 13 times. He'll use it more than anybody else in Scripture. His son Solomon will use it seven times, and then it kind of falls out of favor. But David loves to identify himself as the servant of God. It will be very disappointing if they don't get this, Kirk. While, while you were away, I kind of drilled it in their head. <laughs> Even on, on, on here Bible studies. They got it Sundays, you got it, got it Tuesdays. Nobody? Nobody? What's the big deal about being a servant? Our sermon series to serve and protect. From the very beginning in Genesis, he said, Avad, serve. Be a servant, be a priest. That's where we actually got it. This word avad means priest and servant, can also mean slave. But this is what God said to do all along. And David has gotten it here in this point. I serve God. I'm an avad. I'm not the king he has appointed. I'm not the glorious house of David that will endure forever. I'm just a servant of God. And he has done amazing things in my life. Remember, that's where God takes Adam. God plants the garden. Right. Takes Adam and places him. He rests him. Remember from our discussion a couple of weeks ago, like Noah, Nuach, he rests him in the garden to do two things to serve and to protect Avad and Shamar. And so these connections are going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And remember, like the heart of that word to serve, to Avad, is that it's that work. Uh, remember uh, the first Sunday of the series, Kurt did a great job. He took a, a head of wheat and he rubbed it together. That's Avad. But what happens with that wheat that falls out? Well, it gets ground up. 
and it gets mixed with water and with oil and salt and makes bread and Kurt eats it and it gives him life. That 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 that, that little part of that story there in, in Genesis, it actually carries its way all the way through the scripture. That this is who we are. That's what David said. Who am I? And what does he say that he is? Yep. Servant. Come on. This is our story. It's so good. We bring light into the dark places. Right. No doubt. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's right. So obviously, Pastor Steve and I love these, these ligaments, really, that tie all the Scripture together. I mean, God really does set these themes, these words, these ideas, and you see them develop for thousands of years in full expression in Jesus and then living in us. I mean, still today, He's sending you out to be His servant, to bring forth life in those you encounter, uh, and to protect life um, as you see it struggling or... or, or and needing help uh, to be Christ in the world, to be to be the light. So let us, I don't say this often, let us be like David. Um, he's, he's gotten it here. So can we find some time today um, to sit before him and say, all right, let, let's just do a, a quick inventory, shall we? Uh, I'm going to really look at who I am, God, and you help me with this. There are parts that he needs to raise up Parts of you that I, I know you think, ah, there's, there's no good that can come from that. If God's put it there, there can be some good. And there's other parts of you that maybe need a little bit of focus. I know it's true in my own life. You know, David's good at fighting, but you don't need to be that good at fighting, David. Just bring it back a notch here. Um, so there's things he needs to, to bring back on us. But never lose. You are God's anointed. You're his servants. Just like he sent David out to create this eternal thing, he sends us out today. What you do today will echo through eternity, and so don't waste it. It's good. All right, let's pray. Any questions? <coughs> Chapter 8, David's going to go back to killing, so he's had enough spiritual growth. He'll... Uh... <laughs> But we'll enjoy it while it lasts. Let's pray. Father, our God, I do thank you for my brothers that they would rise so early this morning and sit before your word to hear it pour over them. Lord God, may we all really grasp how great you are. We know that people come and go, kings come and go, but you are the God that endures forever. And you are the God that takes something of our life and makes it so much more how you could take the house of David and bring forth the perfect Christ, the perfect Messiah, still shatters our mind. And yet you brought such hope, such life through it. We know you can do the same thing today as we serve as examples of Christ, as we allow Christ to shine through us. Lord, we don't know where we'll be by the end of the today. And we don't know all the nasty, weird stuff we'll have to face but we know you'll be with us and we know you'll be faithful. So this morning we commit to you. We'll do our best to stay with you. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.
Amen.